You know that old saw that eating ice cream in the heat warms you up more than it cools you down? It turns out, if you're exercising, that's not true. It actually will cool you down. On today's podcast, Luke Belville, Director of Research and Military and Occupational Safety at the University of Connecticut's Corey Stringer Institute, tells us more ways to cool down in the hot weather we've been having. He also settles an argument we've been having in the office for some time. If you pant like a dog, will you get any cooler? I say yes. Speaking of things we've been doing in the Popular Mechanics office instead of working, a few of our staff members have been playing catch in front of executive editor Peter Martin's office with a connected football. He's not a big fan of the noise, but our other editors think the ball's a lot of fun. They came by to talk about it on our testing table. Also on today's episode, we learned some really useful kayaking tips from Eric Stiller, owner of Manhattan Kayak Club, which outfits folks to kayak down the Hudson River, and tech editor Alex George stops by with a beta version of the next iPhone operating system, which you can download too. I wonder if that operating system comes with a fan. Here's hoping you're staying cool out there. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler, and this is the most useful podcast ever. So it's really hot. It's actually cooled down a little bit today, I feel like. I don't feel any cooler. No? No. It it was really hot this weekend. I was walking around on Saturday, and I just, I wanted to, like, crawl under a bush and just die. Yeah, I still feel that way. Like when dogs lay on their side on the sidewalk and just, like... Just kind of like pant and like don't even, you literally just like lay there and you're like, is that dog even alive? And it's like, yes, it yep. is, but barely. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, so we've got uh, Lara Sorkanich here and Peter Martin. And we were having this conversation the other day uh, about how to cool off. I mean, I actually, I ran through a sprinkler and it cooled me off quite Smart. a bit. Yeah. Because it's go. like, it's like sweating, you know, you get water on you. Um, but I wanted to know what other ways there are to cool off. And I want to know if I can pant like a dog. <laughs> yeah. That was a yes. You think she can? Well, no, that was. Just a <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Easy answer. Yes. The easy answer is well. The thing is, I can pant like a dog. I could do it right You're now. Not do anything. Do you feel cooler? Wait, what you is? Don't pa- look cooler. What is panting actually? Like it's just you just breathe in and out really fast. Yeah. And that's what they do. That's all they do. Based on the couple of Wikipedia pages I read before coming in here, yes. That's what they just breathe. Yeah. Do they breathe all the way in? Oh, I didn't read that far. Um, Peter, in your Wikipedia escapades, did you find out why dogs pant? Well, I did. They don't have sweat glands like humans do. Right. Most of them are in their paws. So they it cools its mouth and tongue, obviously, by blowing out air, which I don't get because if it's 100 degrees outside, I wonder how much warmer the air is inside a dog's body. Does that really cool its tongue? Or maybe uh, just a convection to moving air over its tongue mm, cools it down. Yeah, maybe it like pushes heat away. Well, well, how hot is a dog? Is her body temperature the same as a human? <laughs> so many questions. <laughs> we that's need a vet true. on staff. That right? That's a question. No, I w- let's. I'm I'm looking that up. It says it also brings. Oh, cool. the normal body temperature for dogs is between 101 and 102.5. What if the outside temperature is higher than the internal temperature of a dog? So <laughs> many questions. <laughs> Um, well, that's why we're going to call our expert. We're going to call an expert. Um, we're going to call Luke Belville. Should we decide though, before we call Luke? No, we should. What, what we, th- what each of Whether us thinks. We so think that we definitely cool should. Because I don't think it does. You don't think it does. I think even if, if it did, it must be so small, the, the, the increment of cooling that happens. Yeah, wait, we should figure out why. So you think, you think no, because we can't cool up because why? Because we're big, bigger than dogs. No, just because I think our systems must not work the same way. Yeah. I feel like it would still do something unless it was above a hundred and unless it was above dog temperature. Which now I didn't realize why that. So that makes sense why your dog's always so damn warm. <laughs> um, Lara, what do you think? Um, yeah. sure, I'll go with yes. 
because I feel like when you breathe in through your nose, you're not getting as much fresh air into your body as if you're breathing <laughs> in and out through your mouth quickly. I'm just trying to come up with a different answer from what was already said, guys. Okay, I think it's time to call uh, Luke Belville, who is the Director of Research and also the Director of Military and Occupational Safety at the Corey Stringer Institute at the University of Connecticut. Um, the Corey Stringer Institute is named for a football player who died of exertional heat stroke, and their entire uh, aim over there is to try to prevent sudden death in athletes. So I bet they know a lot about such things, although I bet they've probably never recommended that a football player pant. That's probably true. We are in the um, most useful podcast ever podcast room, and I am talking to Lara and Peter about a very stupid question that we have been debating for some time. Um, and we figured you'd be the guy to answer it. Um, if It's really hot lately, and we were wondering, if you go outside and pant like a dog, will that cool you off? Yeah, so the, the easy answer is, is we have to consider how, what we're considering cooling off. Is it going to be effective as, as sweating? Probably not. Um, will it cool you off at all? Maybe. Um, and, and the way we can kind of think about this is if we think about the differences between a human and a dog uh, of how they thermoregulate, the human has the advantage of being able to sweat um, as their primary method of thermoregulation during exercise in the heat, and that's really through the evaporation of sweat. The dog lacks that mechanism um, and has to use the panting, very different geared mechanism. The dog's tongue is long um, and very thin for this reason, um, to help allow for some surface area. Our tongues are actually rather muscular. Um, in addition, dogs have other mechanisms, specifically the pads in their paws, um, allow them to thermoregulate into the ground a little bit better than, say, your our feet do. So it's it's really comparing an apples and oranges things, but there is probably some very small cooling effects, but not great. Right, and the small the small cooling effect would be just what because you are breathing hot air out. Primarily, and there's pro and there's probably some evaporation of saliva, um, but that's really about it. Okay. Because we were trying to figure it out, like, we had different opinions. I think, um, Peter, what you said that it wouldn't work because the system was different, which is, so you're right. Oh, I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> I didn't know the details at all. <laughs> um, and then Lara said that maybe it would cool you down a little bit because you'd be getting more cool air in while, like, expelling a bunch of hot air. And that seems like that's right, too, but only in, like, a small amount. Yeah, it's, it's, fun, it's funny because the, the lungs, despite their huge surface area, don't contribute a huge amount to our cooling, um, primarily because our body already has an in, inbuilt heating mechanism for the air that we breathe in um, to allow it to dissipate across the lung surface area as well. So it's actually the skin surface area plays the most significant um, effect on the ability to cool the body. Basically, sweating is the most efficient. You're not going to get any. You're not going to get as much cooling any other way. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, so now that I've put you through this ringer of asking you a stupid <laughs> question, um, do you want to tell us what you actually, what awesome research you actually do there? I specifically work with the military and occupation settings um, to work with companies and with military outfits to prevent exertional heat illnesses. And so is there anything that you guys have learned just that in general, since obviously this panting thing is not the best for us to do, but while it's super hot, is there a smarter way that we could be dealing with cooling off? 
Yeah, one of the most, there's two really big things. One is body cooling and the other is heat acclimatization. Um, in terms of body cooling, just simply taking whatever advantages you can and whatever instances you can to cool the body off um, is extremely helpful. We found things like cold ice towels, um, ice water immersion is obviously the gold standard, um, but even funny things like drinking an ice slurry or like a slushie you get from a gas station um, can actually have some cooling effect, especially during low-intensity exercise. You always hear you always hear that like eating ice cream actually heats you up. Is that not true? It's not directly true. Um, it really depends on what's going on in your body, especially when you're exercising. Your body's creating a, a tremendous amount of heat, and having something like an ice slushie, um, in some regards, ice cream maybe too. Um, having that really cold thing in your stomach actually can help absorb some of that heat and prevent your body temperature from creeping up. Oh, so yeah. pre-summer run, have a pint of ice cream. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> I don't know if I can give that professional opinion because of like other issues might have, but it's, it's definitely up there. <laughs> you might, Ralph, but you It'll might cool. stay cool. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Uh, and then we, you were saying there's another... Um, not just the body cooling, but also... Yeah, so then the other thing is heat acclimatization. Um, heat acclimatization is our body's natural adaptation to exercising the heat. We actually have an amazing ability to increase our ability to exercise in the heat. It's almost like natural blood doping. Um, what we found in the lab is that over the course of 10 to 14 days, a constant introduction of exercise to heat for about 90 minutes a day, um, your body actually expands its plasma volume. It expands the volume of your blood um, so that you can actually, you know, dissipate heat better. And there's a series of other adaptations that take place that allow you to better handle exercise in the heat. Wow. That's Very good cool. to know. Yeah, next time I want to train for a summer race, I feel like I'll be See, into that. you could just sit outside for 90 minutes a day. We found that you actually have to do some exercise. So we found that about, about 50% of your max. So fast walking or jogging is kind of the bare minimum of what we found mm -hmm. to institute that heat acclimatization over 10 to 14 days. Wow. Hmm. That actually makes sense to me. I, uh, I used to run a lot, and at the beginning of the summer, I would run, and I would just be like, this is awful. I hate this. I'm dying. And then by, like, mid-July, when it was actually hotter out, I would feel better. Yeah, and it, it goes back to, you know, kind of the way humans used to operate with persistence hunting and things like that, and it's a huge advantage that humans have. Yeah, so cool. Um, well, thank you for talking to us, and thank you for exp explaining that. No problem. What are we calling this segment? Ask three idiots, confirm with one smart guy? Yeah. <laughs> that sound good? <laughs> Ask three idiots. No, I think we're calling it um, the, uh, the office great unknowns. That's, that's good. Office so, great unknowns. It's a vast Welcome amount. to the office of great unknowns. With Lara and Jackie and Peter. I'm just throwing this out there. Our initials are JPL. Hey, like the NASA Jet Propulsion Lab. Like the NASA Jet Propulsion Lab. And I so bet Obviously, we're not as dumb as we sound. That's right. I bet, I bet they could We're consulting with JPL. I bet they couldn't answer this question either, and they send rockets to space. We, that should be the next call. Thank you for coming in. Uh, Eric Stiller from Manhattan Kayak Company. Um, you, I've actually kayaked. I have, I've stand-up paddleboarded through you guys before. I just yeah. went with my boyfriend and we were um, we went stand up paddleboarding in the East River and I only fell in once. Perfect. But then I showered quite a bit afterward. Well, you know, that's always been the uh, the been the perceived rub. You know, I don't know. I have to either attribute the human immune system or the uh, 
uh, or the amazing ability for that river to clean itself super fast because uh-huh, it's uh-huh. a very dynamic. It does body. move quickly. Super right? powerful. Yeah. Strong tides and big, big river. Uh, and between the two, it just has never been an issue amongst over half a million participants. That's kind of amazing. So yeah, that makes me, that makes me feel better. It, it should. It should. <laughs> so um, if I were going to go out and buy a kayak right now to go kayaking, what would I buy and would it matter what I was doing? Here's the deal. It could be as simple as going to, dare I say, Dick Sporting Goods, or <laughs> I'm, I'm tempted to say, I haven't looked lately, Amazon.com, uh-huh. and finding a nice 10-foot, 11-foot, if this was for one person, right, or a 12- to 14-foot double-seater uh, recreational sit-on-top kayak. Right? Okay. That's kind of the absolute beginner no worries, reasonable price range, durable, mm-hmm. and as long as you had a place to keep it uh, relatively close to where you were launching, um, these plastic sit-on-top kayaks uh, are almost dummy-proof. Okay. Almost, right? Because <laughs> um, there's nothing to fall out of, uh, nothing to get stuck inside of. Like right. back in the day, there was uh, a lot of white, there still is a lot of whitewater kayakers and people associated that as only the only way you kayak. And these had cockpits uh-huh. and it looked like, oh gosh, I got to either know the Eskimo roll or I've got to like, how am I going to get out of the thing if it goes upside down, uh-huh. right? And um, so on another side of our sport. If so wait, you, one question. Yeah. Are, so are, um, you said sit on top before and I didn't know what that yeah. meant. Are all kayaks now sit on top or most of them? Or? Uh, here's what, what happened. Not too long ago, if you, if you asked the average person, say 20 years ago, what they thought a kayak was, it would be a, it would be a little bit closer to what an Eskimo kayak was. It would have a whole, uh, an oval hole in the middle, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And it would be relatively longish and relatively narrow. And there was your kayak. And it might be shorter and, and uh, wider and with a hole in the middle. And that was your whitewater kayak. Mm-hmm. So people who went down whitewater rivers and streams, which is a huge part of the sport, uh, uh, and it's part of the Olympics too, the solemn courses. That's your little hole in the middle with a spray skirt on mm-hmm. and either very long and narrow to be super fast or relatively short and very uh, interestingly shaped on the bottom to be super maneuverable. Mm-hmm. And But both of those were skill-based based kayaks, right? You had to know how to use them well to appreciate this high performance they could deliver to you. In order to reach the masses, the advent of the sit-on-top kayak made getting onto the vessel without, with no stigma or worries about getting stuck inside, that was erased, right? right? Recreational kayaking at almost any local place you would go, like a hotel, uh, most rentals are going to do that because they uh, liability insurance is it's very safer. Reasonable, very safe. Right, right. People aren't getting you know, it's it's so the sit on top kayak is your go to safe vessel using a double bladed paddle. Right. But I do emphasize wear your life jackets because I know a lot of folk who might buy this stuff won't wear them and it's it it saves lives. It really does. Right. So I just have to always emphasize that. But in in the rest of kayaking, when people learn something, then the types of boats that might open up to you that could really be more pleasurable if that's your can, if that's the thing you like to do, mm-hmm. is, is, is way different. Mm-hmm. And, there, and then knowledge will, in our, typically when we're teaching people in our courses, we give them the skills, they start off in a mid-range type of vessel, and then as they progress with us, you see them start to gradually want to try more tricky boats, you know, mm-hmm. either high performance, quick turning, or longer and faster, shorter and narrower. It's going to be more skillful, right? right? But then, if their skills match the vessel, then the pleasure is is dramatic, right? Right. Uh, more speed, more more maneuverability, uh, 
just more, more connection of body. And can you sit inside these, these ones, you actually have like a hole in them, the, the faster ones? Yeah. So it's, they go, the, the fast ones. And so the man, super maneuverable and super fast can be these holes in the middle that you, that your body has multiple points of solid connection to. So the, the, the vessel becomes an extension of yourself. Oh, okay. So, um, so a high, what would be considered a, say a high performance sea kayak or a high performance, uh, racing kayak, uh, is something where you can have connection at the feet, the thighs, the lower back, and it mer- the vessel kind of molds or merges to you. So those oh, points of connection yeah. allows your body movements, body English, to, c- to turn into performance. It's kind of like you're swimming in a way. But, in a w- but yeah, not really. and, and you're really connected. And, and so now the boat is an extension of your body. Mm-hmm. And ways you move can positively or negatively affect the performance of that vessel. Okay. In whitewater kayaking, they'll actually take these small kayaks that are literally almost fused to their body and do gymnastics tricks in the roughest stuff on a river. Wow. Can you describe roughly how one paddles? I yeah. mean, what, yeah, how, how yeah. do you so, do So to do it properly, regardless of whatever, whatever, if you're sitting on a barn door with a, with a long piece of wood, right? Um, the, the first thing is you do want to find a solid place to either brace your heels or your forefeet. There's usually these little tabs inside of the, the, the vessel. And you're going to have a slight, bend, um, slight to modest bend in your knees. You don't lock out the knees, and they're not like uh, frog, frog legs, right? Okay. So your legs I think are I've gonna, seen a lot of frog legs on the lot, A lot of frog legs, yeah. uh, or a lot of just straightened out. You want to sit up straight. Okay. So a lot of recreational kayaks uh, are designed with seats that kind of let you go way, way back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to be performance, you actually want to sit with your torso vertical, if not slightly forward. Okay. Your arms are, you're going to hold the paddle out in front of you so that your uh, knuckles are facing up to the sky. You're creating this thing called the paddler's box. So if you can imagine the paddle out in front of you, parallel to your chest, and you have approximately 90 degree angles between your elbows, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And so you're trying to hold, it's like you're holding a rectangular box out in front of you. Mm -hmm. And then, and then the movement pattern is actually going to be turning your torso so that your belly button in the center of your chest and even a little bit of the center of your pelvis is turning left and right. Ah, and so you're like just moving this box mi- move side to with, side. With your whole torso. Uh, paddle arms, shoulders, uh, torso, even the hips are working as a cylinder moving okay. left and right. So what you're trying to do is, is extend your reach forward with your rotation, angle the paddle, Come down with a little body, with a little body English, almost like a little crunch move mm-hmm. motion. Uh, let the paddle grab and hold the water out in the front, then rotate through. This is um, the way you can use your whole body and be double as efficient as a person who's just paddling with their arms. Right. In optimal paddling, you try to catch water. You try to get the blade to uh, insert into the water in the front of you, in the front towards the front of the boat, mm-hmm. so that it grabs and holds it, so that. As you rotate through, you and the boat start to come towards the well-planted paddle mm-hmm. as much or more than the paddle would be pulled or come back to you. So you put the paddle in front, mm-hmm. catch, rotate, and now it's leverage. You're levering uh-huh. the, the, the vessel through the water. Right. And in the Olympics, you'll watch these big spoon-like paddles catch water, and it's like they're pole vaulting themselves through the uh, water, like uh-huh. 100 pole vaults per minute. But um, it's there. I'm going to go watch Olympic kayak. Yeah, yeah. Most people will kind of paddle in a way that they sort of 
pull it towards them and, and then dig a little bit at the end. And mm-hmm. it, they, they're looking for a feeling. Their, their bodies are sensing that I got to do something with the water here. But they're, <laughs> but they're you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. To, to make this thing move forward. Right. Um, but but uh, clearly the water is going to be involved it's in about, this yeah. somehow. <laughs> it's, it's here. It's this is I'm kayaking. Right? I've got this thing. Right. Um, this paddle. And uh, but it's thinking of getting the power in the front for catching water in the front rather than digging water from behind. Wow. So same with canoeing and same with stand-up paddleboarding. Yeah, that is great advice. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming by. Are you going to go kayak now? How often do you you kayak every day? Uh, Nowadays, I kind of split my time between the kayaking and the stand-up paddleboarding. Well, have fun. Thank you. I'm going to sit at my desk. Yeah. (laughs) Very good. Thanks so much for coming. You're very welcome. Cheers. So I walked by your desk today, and you were like, I have a cool thing. I have a cool thing for the podcast. And that's why you're on the podcast now as Alex George, our tech editor. What, um, what is the thing that you're doing? So a few weeks ago, Apple announced uh, at, that they have a new operating system, iOS, which is the one that you use on your phone. That's the iPhone operating system. And a new desktop called OS, Mac OS Sierra. And Wait, Mac OS Sierra. Sierra, like the, everything's named after mountain ranges. I was like, well, yeah. Oh, okay. Wasn't it? Wasn't it like animals for a while? Uh, panther, snow leopard, uh, lion, and then most recently it's uh, let's see, Yosemite, El Capitan, um, and now Sierra. Oh. So they pick a theme and then go. Oh, with I it. see. Next one will be time. I don't know, um, ocelot, something like that. Oh, maybe. okay. Uh-huh. Or species of uh, some species other. of fish. They should do species of fish. Ooh, that'd be great. Yeah. Do you know any? Mm, nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when, but after they announced that, you, if you have a valid Apple ID, which pretty much everybody who has an iPhone does, you know, it's free. It's your name at mac.com or iCloud.com or me.com. Uh, you can enroll in this thing called the beta program. So you go to beta.apple.com and then you uh, go through, and you have to go through a little bit of a process. But what it does is it lets you test an early version of. Uh, the operating system and put it on your phone before it's out to the general public. Uh, the only trade-off is that you'll occasionally get glitches or you know something will freeze or something like that. Uh, but you get to tell. Do you get to tell them about the glitches and what you want fixed? So when you install it, you're right. There's a little. I, there's an app that says feedback, and you can say this happened to me during this time or this something could be here, and you know you don't know if it's just going. All your to colors either. are dumb. You can say whatever you want. Now, that's kind of that's kind of nice, though. We were actually talking before I started recording um, that you. So when I whenever I want to say an alert comes up on your phone and you want to look at it before you go to your home screen, but you've plant you've programmed your fingerprints into your um, open button. Yeah, if it, yeah, Touch ID. Touch ID. You're right. Okay. So you programmed your Touch ID. And so then when you press it, it goes directly to your open screen and you don't get to see what the notification was. And like that's really, I mean, if it's messages, fine, you see. But like there's certain things that I don't have push notifications on or I have like some but not others. And it's just, you know, it's like you'll get a notification and then you won't know where it came from exactly. Right. That was um, a major issue with the, especially with the 6S and 6S Plus is that the Touch ID reader is so good that everything just... There's no lock screen that you can yeah, look at for that kind of stuff. Right. iOS 10 is a major upgrade, and okay. it changes a lot of things. For example... Wait, I'm confused. You called it iOS Sierra, but now you also called it 10. <laughs> Mac OS refers to what you have on a MacBook laptop or an iMac. 
or like a desktop, like a computer. Oh, okay. iOS refers to what you have on a iPhone or an iPad. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I'm both learning of them a lot getting, of things. Both of those are getting changed in the fall, and that's the update that's going to go out free to everybody. Okay. Uh, so what you're saying is that an average Joe, not the tech editor of Popular Mechanics such as yourself, can just do this, can download iOS 10 right now. Yes, and it's not as insidery and geeky as you would think. I have it, I've been using it for a few days now. It has not had... Uh, I haven't crashed it. I haven't had any you know weird sc- blue screens of death or anything like that. Um, it just kind of works, and all your old apps will work on it. There's no you don't have to do anything really. Right. Um, if you want to go back, if it did crash it, if it did crash it, could you go to like an Apple Genius Bar and be like, your operating system crashed my phone? They might take a little bit of offense to that. Although every <laughs> Apple Store employee I've ever encountered has been just uh, nauseatingly friendly and pleasant to talk to. So I, I don't think they'd even do that. Yeah. Uh, you can say, I mean, nothing that's going to happen is going to be that drastic. What right. they, what they have you do is it's a little bit of a process. You back it up to your, uh, you back up your phone to iTunes on a oh, laptop as opposed to just the cloud. They have all these instructions on beta.apple.com. You control click and archive, uh, a backup of your phone. So you have the original version there if you want to go back oh, to it. Okay. And so what are the coolest, I mean, you're playing with the next, sort of with the iPhone 7, right? What, uh, what is, what's cool? What, ha- what's it got? Um, this kind of thing that I was just showing you where you lift to wake. So the phone's on the ground, on the table, you pick it up and it, uh, wakes up the screen. Oh, that's, that's um, cool. Then it does the automatic, uh, the unlocking where, you hold your thumb over the home button. It you get this little thing that says unlocked, but it d- stays in the you know kind of notification screen that you were talking about, oh, or the music I'll screen, or whatever. Oh, so it fixes the thing. Correct. That's and handy. then if you hold, if you depress the home button, you get into your apps and your phone. And all okay. That. Um, and it has a what's going to be a cross device clipboard. So you copy a link on your phone, and then it'll be read. Like if you have OS Sierra, Mac OS Sierra, it'll be. Uh, it'll be immediately oh, available on your phone. Oh, that is so handy. Computer. I have had that problem so many times. I, mean, you use, I guess you can use AirDrop now, right? Yes, yeah, uh, but it doesn't. I mean, it's a little bit clunky. That's part of this whole inter-device uh, infrastructure that Apple's making. Like, you can use your Apple Watch to unlock the lock screen on your laptop if you're close enough to uh-huh. it. Uh huh. So that kind of, those little things like that are popping up. Um, they have their Siri is going to be available to non-Apple apps, so you can like say you can use Siri for an Uber. It's going to be able to transcribe your voicemail for you. That's an idea that's been around for a while. Oh, that is handy. So maybe this will stop me from keeping a voicemail on my phone for three weeks. On oh, I'm to. terrible at that. The only reason I get rid of it is because uh, they there's the little one there next to your phone icon. And I, it makes me crazy. Yeah, that's yeah. That's and literally the only reason I listen to voicemails. I don't even delete sorry, it. Then I just sorry, mom. It. Sorry, sorry, grandma. <laughs> just checking in. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is something that they did not announce conspicuously, but people will like. You can delete the Stocks app. Oh, or the that maps sounds great. App, that oh my thing. gosh, there's so many. In, I'm deleting the app, the Maps app. Yep. Just right away. <laughs> I, see, this is and this is actually interesting. Is um, you know, we got this story on the cloud that's coming out in the November issue, and Apple's integrating some ideas that this company called Nextbit has done already with a phone called the Robin. I think I talked about. Oh, you did talk about the Robin on here, yeah. Where what they'll do is, if you go into photo, you know, the settings for photo and um, photo and camera, mm-hmm. and you have iCloud um, like photo stream turned on, the mm-hmm. one that automatically uploads to your iCloud, mm-hmm. which is the reason you get that not enough storage or whatever. Yeah, which I've been, I feel like a lot of people have been getting that lately. I've been totally. getting it. And this is their answer to it is that you can set this thing to optimize storage, which means that 
if it senses that you haven't looked at a photo or uh, watched a video that you have in a long time, it'll make the version on your phone, it'll compress it. So it looks, still looks good on a phone, um, but you won't have like the full high resolution one that's taking up a ton of room. Ah. But it'll, it'll be saved in full resolution on your iCloud account. So you can retrieve it when you want to. Gotcha. And that's going to be on iOS 10. Correct. Yeah, that'll be okay. a setting that you can do in there. Cool. Uh, and gonna, then, I'm sure you're going to have to get back on once the iPhone 7 comes out to show us how to do that. Oh, for sure. And the other kind of good thing that we'll have to have an entire discussion about is how they made messages different. Mm-hmm. So if you you can kind of doodle something, you can like draw something with your finger, oh. draw a stupid logo, send it to somebody. Uh, they have a built-in GIF keyboard. That just made me kind yeah. of excited for uh, because I've got, um, I've got a super glitchy like GIF keyboard that I got online. Yeah, that, some third party. Yeah, oh, man, and it's just like, it's annoying. The one that's on here isn't quite there yet. Okay. Yeah, if you search Corgi, you'll still get like, I searched that and I got like a scene from Train Spotting on there. <laughs> Not sure why. Maybe it's uh, Welsh, Scottish. I don't know. Maybe I don't, that was it. The correlation. Whatever it is, know. they're gonna figure it out. I'm sure. Cool. Well, thank you. Enjoy your future phone. I shall. So the testing table again today. We're on location elsewhere in the office that is like just down the hall. Yeah, our location is our indoor football arena, AKA the corridor next to Peter Martin's office. Yeah, we, uh, do we, sh- do we shut his door or is he going to come out and scowl at us? He wants to have fun. No, oh, he wants to have fun. So we have Kevin Dupsick, uh, and Michael Wilson, our art director is, they're going to throw the football around in the office and try not to anger everyone. Yeah, try not to take out and break any glass. That's rule number one. Um, so what, what are we testing here, actually? Why don't you tell me? Yeah, so this is the Wilson X connected football. So Wilson has started this line of uh, connected balls. The first one was a basketball. It came out last year. So basically, the idea with both of these, so it looks and feels like a normal ball, um, but they have a low-power Bluetooth transmitter and sensors inside. And so as you use the ball, just as you would normally, it tracks stats about your performance. So with the basketball, it could track makes and misses. Um, and where you're shooting from, the football, I think, in a lot of ways, is kind of more interesting because there's a lot of stats about football that you can't get just from watching. Like with basketball, you know if you made it or missed the shot. With the football, this thing tracks how hard you throw, how far you've thrown it. Um, and it also tracks the RPM of the ball and how nice of a spiral you've thrown. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. and it um, So that's kind of something where it's like, I mean, you know if you throw a really bad spiral, but it's hard to, like, you know, I've played football. You were a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. It's kind of hard to actually like know like when you're actually really like have it dialed in with something like a good spiral which you know affects your accuracy how far you get the ball so right i didn't know you were a quarterback uh backup yeah wow okay so let's see which one of you uh can relive your glory days better um so the first thing you have to do actually is to is wake up the ball this is the same with the with the basketball because the idea is that you never actually have to replace a battery in these things it's just a low enough power transmitter that it outlasts the ball itself like by the time the battery's dead you would have worn out the ball, um, but as a result, it sleeps whenever it can. Whenever it can, and to wake it up, you have to do some motion that would never really occur in a game. So what Michael's going to do is he's holding the ball like vertically, points facing up and down, and then after holding like that for two seconds, you flip it. All right, here we go. You guys are going to throw a ball. How how was that? Forty-seven percent spiral efficiency, pretty good. That was really bad. That was only 40%. So can you see Kevin's too or just yours? Yeah, it shows it shows it both ways. So he throws it back to me, it shows what, what the readouts and stats on his on his store were. 65%. That's the highest. 65, that was a pretty good one. 
So, uh, so I'm gonna come over to Kevin. What does a spiral efficiency actually mean? I'm gonna get hit. I'm gonna get like clocked in the face with a football here. It would be zero. How? Would, what would so be zero? It's a, so it's a percentage rating. So, if you can imagine like a perfectly spinning football that doesn't have any wobbliness to the motion, that's a hundred percent. And then I assume that zero would be like if it were side, like going end over end. What was that? Oh. 62 again. There we go. That was almost as good and it was 51. So. So now we are back in the podcast studio to kind of go over what you guys thought of the football um, now that everybody has played with it. We got um, Jay Bennett, who's a, our assistant editor on web. Uh, welcome. Thank you. You haven't been on the podcast before. Uh, briefly about, uh, but not this podcast. Oh, you've been on podcast. Kevin's podcast. Separate podcast. Okay. Yeah. Um, how, that would be the How Your World Works podcast. Uh, That's correct. Which is our sister podcast if anyone is interested in listening to it. Um, Please listen. <laughs> Kevin's the host of that. I, Kevin's been pl also playing with the football, mostly in the office and in Central Park. Yeah, I kind of got the best of both worlds. Jay and I went outside and threw it yesterday, which I have to say we did that for Facebook Live, and there's a lot more pressure when you know people can see you. Right. Yeah, Michael, you didn't, no one could see you. You could just hear your numbers. Well, just the people that we work with, and um, they already have a pretty sound opinion of me, so I think that's okay. <laughs> um, okay, so this is, what we're reviewing is the Wilson Connected X football, is that what it's called? It's called the Wilson X Connected football. Oh, I'm sorry. So you guys have played with this uh, for a fair amount. What do you think? Would you, would you buy it? Jay, I'm going to ask you first. I would buy it if I were a high school football coach, um, but I don't think that it's, you know, necessarily worth the money if you're just going to be throwing a ball around with your friends. Okay. How um, much is it? I think it's, it's about $200. 200. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That's a so lot for it's a, a It's a lot for a football. Um, you know, a nice football, like an NFL-quality football, is already 80 or 100 bucks. but, I mean, that's not what most people are buying anyway if they just want to go into the park and throw it around. So if you were, you know— All my footballs are made of foam. There you go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Nerf footballs. Yeah. Uh, Michael, what about you? Yeah, I, I kind of thought the same thing when I first saw it, that if you're a high school football coach and you don't have all of the awesome equipment that the NFL has to track players and record every single play and really analyze everything, um, this lets you do it with just sort of the bare minimum of equipment. Really nice ball, even if you didn't have that stuff in it, and it feels fine. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I would pick one up. I've just got like a regular college size football at the house that was like 50 bucks and right. works just fine to just have a catch right um but it, it could be as useful a, as a gift for like a kid who's just going into high school and starting to play football like christmas gift would you think that that would be a good gift or is it like just get him a regular ball and no i think it'd be cool because you know it sort of gamifies some of the stuff that you're already trying to do like when kevin and i were throwing it we we're trying to see who could have the most perfect spiral so you're probably going out and play a little bit more so if you're just maybe wanted to try out for a team maybe it gets you a little bit more into the game so it does have that does have that added benefit so it'd be a pretty cool gift kevin you won so what is your secret to throwing the tightest spiral uh it's definitely in the wrist you got to kind of flick your wrist just enough to let the ball kind of roll off of it and that gives it the spiraling motion kind of gives it that like barrel you flick roll your wrist you go. down um like a turning a doorknob it's, it's weird i've never actually really thought about it as well, i'm doing it what i was so i played quarterback so i threw a lot of footballs and was coached on it. And when you when you throw a, a good spiral, you're supposed to like sort of finish with your palm facing towards your towards the person you're throwing it to and you turn your hand over so that your thumb, if I throw right handed, so my, my right thumb comes down to my left hip. So you kind of, when you throw it, you roll it 
away from you, sort of turning your whole hand over, and that lets the ball roll off of your index finger. Like, wow. And your index finger's at the back of the ball, so it kind of rolls just off of there, and you kind of almost push it forward from there. Wow. Um, that was so much better advice than I gave. <laughs> That's our podcast. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Jesse Wright Mendoza. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Check out our show on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think of what we're doing. And if you want to read more about kayaking, check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.